Hey, Drudix and Chief Content Nerd at Love I Nerd back with you for another Bible Thump. Let's go to Mark 2. I'm going to be in Mark 2, starting in verse 7. This is another one of those stories that I think a lot of times we sort of just gloss over and uh, maybe don't think much is going on here. We think that these are just minor plot t- details, right? The kind of things in a novel that you would not give much thought to, but they're packed with significance. There aren't many of those kinds of things in in the Gospels, especially in Mark's Gospel. So even though it seems like this is just sort of filler content, there's a lot going on that's really important to who Jesus is, what he came to do, and who he calls us to be as his followers, and and our potential to meaningfully participate in this kingdom that he's establishing, our uh, potential to meaningfully participate in the renewal of the world. So let's take a look at this. Mark 2, starting in verse 7. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea, and a large crowd followed him from Galilee, and a large crowd followed him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, beyond the Jordan, and around Tyre and Sidon. The large crowd came to him because they heard about everything he was doing. Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him, so that the crowd wouldn't crush him. Since he had healed many, all who had diseases were pressing toward him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! And he would strongly warn them not to make him known. Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. He appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. All right, a lot going on here. Let's try to unpack it. I think the first and most obvious thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is really, really popular, right? And it's not exactly popularity because of who he is, not yet anyway. He's not popular because of people of people identifying him as this um, revolutionary or political leader or this person who's going to do something about Rome. Not quite yet, right? Uh, he's popular because of what he can do and what he's been doing because he's healing people who have been sick for so long. He's casting out demons. He's, he's taking people who are oppressed by, by demons and whose lives are, 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 are not going well and making them better. He's bringing uh, new life to a broken world and people see that and are flocking to him. And so Jesus' ministry, because of this, is kind of chaotic. I mean, I think that's kind of the picture that we get in these verses, uh, at the beginning anyway, is that things are so chaotic that he's worried about being crushed by this crowd. And uh, there's so many people from all these areas. It's not just uh, it's not just Galilee anymore, but it's Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan and Tyre and Sidon. It's all these surrounding places around Galilee. Um, all, all these people are coming to meet him, and there's so many that he's worried about being trampled. And so he tells his disciples to get a boat ready uh, so that he can escape, right? And uh, and all these unclean spirits um, see him, and they fall down before him, and they cry out, you are the Son of God. Um, so the unclean spirits fear him. They fall down before him. Um, they know he has the power to destroy them. We've seen that already in Mark's Gospel. 
Um, but uh, they they do take a shot at him. This is these are fighting words when they say you are the son of the son of God. It's as if they're saying we know that you are the Messiah. And Jesus hasn't made that clear yet, and he's not ready to make it clear to all people that he is indeed the Messiah, the promised one who would save Israel and would redeem God's people. Um, he's, he's not ready for that. We know that because he tells them, uh, he warns them not to make him known. And so they're taking a shot at Jesus, and it's important to remember who these unclean spirits are, right? I mean, we've already talked about this a little bit in Mark's gospel, but it's important to note that they're not physical powers, but they apparently can possess people. Um, this is hard for us to wrap our minds around because maybe we think we don't see this kind of thing today, but I think maybe maybe we do. I don't, and we just don't have the eyes to see it. I think we should be open to that anyway. But but these are not physical powers; they're some sort of spiritual beings, and they defile. They're called unclean because they defile what they inhabit, uh, making people behave in ways that are that go against their calling as human beings that go against who God made them to be as his image bearers. And so when Jesus casts out demons, we shouldn't just think of like the exorcist or something. Uh, but what we should realize is that Jesus is restoring people's dignity. He's restoring their humanity. He's uh, renewing them. He's bringing them back to their proper calling and design. Um, he's loving them, right? This is an incredibly loving thing to do, is to take people oppressed by demons and, and renew them. And the only um, shot that, that they can take at Jesus is to try and out him as the Messiah. They think if they can out him as the Messiah, he'll, they'll get him in trouble with perhaps Herod, the kind of puppet king of Israel, or perhaps they could even get him in trouble with Rome, right? Um, that, you know, that if Jesus is outed as the Messiah, that he's going to be go crossways with Rome. They'll, they'll, they'll accuse him. He'll be accused. This is a way for him to be accused of, um, of tyranny, right? Of, uh, of treason against the empire, which is ultimately the accusation that would later get him crucified, even though it was never proved. Uh, but Jesus does something really crazy in response to these accusations by the demons. Um, he runs away to the mountains, and so some of us might go, oh, is he like chickening out here for the fight? Like, why doesn't Jesus fight back in this moment? Um, but he actually is doing something very deliberate by going to the mountains. Think about this for a minute. Who typically hides out in the wilderness, in the hills, in the mountains, in most stories uh, that we've read in the past? Um, think about like Robin Hood or uh, any number of stories about a small group of of rebels that take on an oppressive regime or an oppressive, um, you know, invading force that's much bigger than themselves. Um, yeah, this has notes of Jesus hiding out in the wilderness, in the mountains, to start a revolution. It's even more clear when you think about what he does. He appoints 12 disciples. And so if you were a Jew in Jesus' day, hanging around Jesus, uh, 12 was a super significant number for you because there were 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And the fact that he appoints 12, uh, 12 people to, to be his disciples tells us that it looks like he's appointing 12 leaders for the 12 tribes to uh, take over Rome. And when they get when they, when they kick Rome out of, out of Jerusalem and out of Israel, they'll have these 12 tribes set up and 12 leaders set up to do that. Um, 
So it sounds almost like Jesus is like, all right, let's start the revolution. Um, So the question comes up when we read this, is Jesus really planning a revolution? Is that really what he's doing? And I think the clear answer in Mark's gospel is yes, he is. Yes, he absolutely is starting a revolution, but it's a yes, but answer. Yes, he's starting a revolution, but it's nothing like any revolution in the history of of humanity, in the history of the world. It's so much better, and it's so different. We see some differences in two ways. First, look at who Jesus raises up to be his disciples. Um, This is not exactly a who's who of ancient Israel, of first century Israel. No, he calls uh, tax collectors like Levi, which we've already seen in Luke's gospel, are people, sorry, Mark's gospel, uh, which we've already seen in Mark's gospel, are people who are hated, right? Deeply hated, were considered to be, by the Jews, considered to be traitors to the nation of Israel who went to work for Israel's oppressors, the Romans. Um, they, they were deeply hated. And he calls one of these people to be one of the 12 disciples. Then he calls fishermen who are of no special influence. These are not powerful uh, people, they did not have lots of followers on TikTok, right? Um, that's not the type of person he calls to follow him. And he calls a, a zealot, um, right, to follow him, Simon the Zealot, which is further evidence that he is embracing this idea of revolution. Um, and he even calls someone who he knows is going to betray him. This is a ragtag group of people. This is not the kind of group of people you would raise up to be in your cabinet if you were running for office. You would not choose Judas or Levi or Andrew or Peter. You would not choose any of these people to be your running mate if you were running for president. You wouldn't. But that's who he calls. And it's good news because it means that all kinds of people, no matter what your background, no matter what your experiences in life, no matter your skill set or your personality or whatever weakness you perceive in yourself, does not discredit you from being an important, integral part of the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. Like, he wants people like us who are broken. He wants people like us who feel weak. When we realize our weaknesses, we're actually strong, the Bible says, because in our weaknesses, God supplies what we need. He wants to show his power through weak people like us. He wants to show us his love through people like us who feel like at times maybe we're not lovable. He wants you to be an important part of his kingdom. And then secondly, look at what he calls us to do. Um, He calls the disciples to do exactly what he's been doing. He appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. So he wants them to hang out with him, which is pretty cool. Uh, Jesus wants us to hang out with him. Um, Secondly, he wants us to preach. What? The good news about him, the good news about his kingdom, um, the good news about the renewal and restoration that he brings. Um, And then he wants us to cast out demons, uh, to, to, to drive out demons, which we might look at and say, oh, like... That's weird because um, do I need to do like these dramatic exorcisms <laughs> of the people in my, uh, you know, demon, exercise demons out of the people in my life? Um, but listen, I think uh, what he's saying is be agents of renewal in my kingdom. Be those people who 
take my work forward, who do what I do, who step into other people's lives and give them hope, step into other people's lives and help them find a better path forward. Um, so um, driving out demons in our lives doesn't necessarily have to be this dramatic exorcism. I mean, it could be, I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like for you, but it could be as simple as going to your neighbor who you know is going through a hard time and just bringing them a meal and saying, hey, um, which once you know I care about you, I'm here. Um, it could be, uh, if you're a student, um, going to school and, and talking to uh, another student who doesn't seem to have many friends. Um, if you are a parent, it means um, helping your children uh, learn to be kind and loving and generous people um, in the face of a world that doesn't have much time for kind or generous people, right? Um, there's lots of ways that we can embody the way of Jesus in our lives and, and participate in his work of rest restoration. But just the fact that he calls these 12 to do this kind of work means that his revolution is far different than we might think. Yes, he's starting a revolution, but it's a revolution of good news. It's a revolution of renewal and restoration. It's a revolution of getting to hang out with Jesus. It's not the kind of scary revolution where um, we, we take up swords and we, um, you know, do everything we can to oust the current political power. Um, it's not a selfish, there's nothing selfish about the revolution Jesus wants to start. It's an incredibly selfless mission. Um, Jesus gave and gave and gave of himself to empower his disciples, to love them, to serve them, to help them see how they can have a relationship with God. And that's exactly what he calls us to do in the world. And by the way, when you're willing to share really important work with people, um, that says something, doesn't it? I think about some of the projects I do around the house, like the more important the project is to me, the harder it is for me to share it with my children. <laughs> you know, like the more important a job is, the more I'm likely to go like, eh, I'll do this. Um, you sit out. Um, even though sometimes my kids are like, I want to help. Um, but when we love people, we'll be willing to let them mess up sometimes. And even though um, they might mess up and they might not do it the way that we want, we'll share our work with them. It communicates trust. It communicates care. It communicates respect of others when we're willing to let them join in on important tasks. And there's no more important task in the world than, than the kingdom of God being coming from heaven to earth, right? Um, from God's kingdom invading our space in the, in the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus says, I want you to be real ingredients in that process. I want you to be real participants in that process. I want you to join me in my good work of renewal. Uh, that's super exciting. And it tells me and it tells you that we matter greatly to God, that we're important to him, so important to him that he wants us to participate in his work. Um, so let's, let's do that. Let's find joy in doing that. Um, it's exciting. There's so much potential in you and in me and in, in us for the good of the world and for the glory of God. Thanks for listening. I hope that you'll embrace your potential and I hope that you'll, by God's grace, take a step towards, towards living it out. I hope that you'll know that you know um, that Jesus loves you deeply. 
Jesus loves you, nerd. We'll see you next time.